From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. James Freeman on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. If you've just joined us, I'm covering for the brilliant of Jeremy Neal, so stay tuned for me for, for another hour of me, James Freeman, and the Freeman Report right here on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. It is Tuesday, the 21st of November, 2023. Hello to everybody in the live chat. Who have we got here? We've got Mali Bites, um, Jock Herrera, Madrid, um, Bloden. Thank you for your email, Bloden, the other day. Um, and who else? We've got Jones from Wales as well. Hello, Jones. Um, you obviously emailed me the other day as well. Thank you for that. Um, and hello to the rest of the crew there. Thank you for all engaging and making the show come to life. Um, now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, TNT has a live chat room on its website at tntradio.live. Um, you could just head over the, to the site, click on the chat icon, and then you can join in the conversation. You can ask me questions. You can ask our guests questions, or you can just tell us what you think. Um, it's up to you. But do get yourself over there and join in the conversation. Um, I do check um, the chat as the show goes on. Um, so fire away. Post me your questions. Tell me what you think. Right. OK. In the news today, I see that the Telegraph is purporting um, that the Chancellor, Jeremy Ernst, um, has been handed 16.9 million, nearly 17 billion pounds uh, borrowing boost ahead of the upcoming autumn statement. And as I was talking about in the last hour, what an absolute joke this is. Um, it happens every time we near an election um, and it treats the general public like idiots. All of the money that the government spend is actually borrowed money. It's borrowed against our future tax payments. Um, that is the nature of the debt-based economy that we live in. So when the government says we found an extra bag of money that we didn't know we had, well, then, you know, it's absolute nonsense. Um, we're constantly told how the national debt is at crippling levels and that we can't afford this or we can't afford that. So why is it presented as, oh, look, we just found some money. We can treat you now just before the election. It really is treating us like idiots. Um, the truth is that this money is the money that the government is borrowing. It's our money. Um, and it makes a nonsense of government messaging because on the one hand, it's saying um, you all need to tighten your belts because there's no money. But then, oh, hang on, look, we just found this bag of money here. Um, so it really does treat us like fools. It really, really does. And I see also that the Tories are reverting to type again. Obviously, the tax um, sort of giveaways is is one of their tactics going back many, many years. Um, but also I see that now that they're, they're, the messaging coming out is we're also going to crack down on them. Them poor people that are diddling you um, out of your money by stealing your, um, you know, um, by diddling their um, their um, benefit payments. So, yeah, it really is treating us like fools. Um, we really do deserve better. Um, yesterday, I spoke about the newly elected president of Argentina and whether he is really the answer to Argentina's globalist problems. And today, it seems that he might cause an issue for the UK, as I see that he claims that Argentina has non-negotiable sovereignty over the Falkland Islands. Now, I remember the Falkland War. 
Um, I remember being given um, two days off school um, because three Royal Navy ships, um, the HMS Ardent, HMS Antelope and the HMS Coventry were sunk in the space of four days with 42 crew members lost in total. I was um, at primary school in Plymouth at the time, which is a big naval base. So it was devastating time for the city. Now, hopefully this is just rhetoric and hot air because as commentators are saying, um, he is less hawkish actually on this issue than his predecessor um, who demanded immediate negotiations to end what he called um, uh, um, an anachronistic colonial colonial sorry situation now this could be because he spoke highly of margaret thatcher during his campaign apparently and this is quite funny actually for somebody running for president in argentina to say that margaret thatcher is one of the great leaders in the history of humanity <laughs> he actually said that during his campaign so um i think what commentators are saying that he he did come under a lot of criticism for that in argentina so the reason he's kind of said this now is to try and distance himself from those comments let's just hope that is why he's saying that now because god it would be such a disaster if things started to kick off now um the uk um is in no place to mount any kind of campaign today and while I do think it's a bit of a stretch for the UK to have sovereignty over those islands, which are so many thousand miles away, the fact that virtually all of the inhabitants want to remain British, well, that for me closes the conversation. Um, democracy all the way, people. Um, if the people of the land want to be British, then, you know, I think that's the right thing to do. Anyway, let's hope, like I said, this is no more than a storm in a teacup. As always, if you want to get in touch about any of the topics on the show, then please email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And I've already said, um, if you're interested in joining in the conversation, then get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon, and then you can join in the show as we go along. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for TNT Radio. There's a lot going on, so it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, because here we go. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Deja vu. Hello again, Gemma. How are you doing? Yes, yes. Well, time goes quickly on this station. It just seems like a few minutes ago we were talking about the COVID <laughs> inquiry, and, and I'm back and looking at you on the video. It's like I'm in some kind of time loop today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I'm on for two hours today. Um, yes, yeah, a while since I've done two hours. Obviously, when the Freeman Report launched, I used to do two hours, and I went down to one hour a day. Um, yeah, it's good. I like it. I like being on air. <laughs> well you're doing you're doing very well you're doing very well uh just listening to that editorial there though uh, margaret thatcher do you remember when we were kids thatcher thatcher milk snatcher when she took all the free milk away from primary school children that, i don't think she's ever lived that one down here in the uk with some of us and yeah the falklands I, i'm the same age as you near enough james and i remember uh being at primary school in the whole the, the whole rhetoric and you know war and that and that's won her an election didn't it all those images of her in a military garb and just coming out stridently and yeah what a time propaganda propaganda once again but when you're kids you just get caught up in it you do and and actually that's the first um you know we all have nightmares i don't really have a lot these days but that actually during that period was the first proper nightmare i remember having as a child where actually um, I ran out of my room in the middle of the night and had to go into my parents' room because, you know, we were 
very much being told about the the, the war um, in the Falklands. I remember in my dream, I was, um, you know, it was all about soldiers and guns and shooting each other. And it was pretty traumatic. Um, I do remember that quite vividly. And, you know, like I said in the introduction there, I was brought up um, at the time in Plymouth, which is a big naval base. So it was quite a big thing then for the community, the fact that these four ships had been sunk. Um, there was a lot of people in the community with, um, you know, husbands, partners out there um, at the time. So it was quite a, a frightening time, actually. But it just goes to show the the impact that the media does have on us. Absolutely. And also just sticking with this for a moment, but do you remember when the, the Cold War, a few years later, we came out of primary school, you and I would have been in secondary school here in the UK. The amount of people, I mean, I was one of them, the amount of teenagers that had dreams about nuclear war as Reagan and Gorbachev it escalated and escalated. And we had things like, you know, when the wind blows, you know, cartoons by Raymond Briggs about, you know, what happens if a nuclear war breaks. You had the day after tomorrow, that film that came out of um America, I think with Jason Robards. And then you had in this country threads on the BBC about what would happen if a nuclear bomb dropped on Sheffield. It was relentless and it affected the collective consciousness. When you talk to people now that of our generation, I used to have loads of dreams about nuclear war, really vivid, really upsetting. They did a sigh upon us then. That was all about fear and, 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 and getting us to think a certain way. When you look back, you know, once you've had a kind of awakening process in the last three and a half years has illustrated it beautifully, you think it wasn't just the pandemic, it was everything they've ever done. Everything they've ever done on a global scale has been to, to coordinate reaction and usually a fearful one. That, that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, Gemma, do you remember the, um, I think we had leaflets through the door at one point, because like I said, I was living in Plymouth at the time. And of course, Plymouth being a huge naval base, um, you know, we were expecting that if there was a nuclear war, that would be one of the targets. But we actually had leaflets through our door from the government telling us how to prepare for a nuclear bomb and there were adverts on the tv and i remember it was things like you know um if there's a door archway get under there or if you've got a table nearby hide under the table <laughs> like that's going to make any difference at all in a nuclear war i mean it really was designed i think just to frighten the hell out of everybody wasn't it it was and it worked yeah i mean i remember that and not to bore the listeners too much but yeah you get a door take it off the hinge paint it white to reflect the blast hello, you know, nuclear fission blast and um, hide under it, Let, rest it up against the wall and get underneath it and hope for the best. I think that was the strategy. I mean, and we fell for it. People fell for it. You see, it, it, you, you think at the time, looking back, did we really sort of believe that? Exactly the same as the scamdemic. Did we believe that? We Apparently we did. It shows how easily well-conditioned we are to listen to authority and give our power away. Thankfully, as we know on TNT radio video that we are now, the times are changing. That's the thing now. Times are changing. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not that there isn't something to be afraid of, i.e. nuclear weapons and the fact that there are so many warheads around the world um, in the hands of, um, I mean, North Korea's got nuclear weapons now. So it's not like there isn't something to worry about. But it was just funny, these leaflets that were put out. It was almost like a bit of a, um, you know, you had to question what the purpose was, because like I said, when they're telling you to hide under tables or under door frames um, to hide from a nuclear bomb, it does kind of, well, what, what, what's your objective here? Is it actually to help us survive a nuclear weapon or is it actually just to scare the bejesus out of us so that we're easily controlled? I think that's um, that's the, the, the conclusion I come to now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just uh, picked up a story today, which is um, simultaneously kind of on that note, but I, it does give me encouragement, actually. But it's about the other thing they're using to scare the bejesus out of us at the moment, which is the, you know, the so-called climate emergency, which they're trying to use to govern a behavior yet again. Um, but I've seen a headline that uh, the world's richest uh, 10% of the, of the world are causing up to 40 times more carbon emissions than the rest of the population. And the richest 1% which we all know are, you know, the elites, we are the 99%, we are the mighty, uh, they're the 1%, and they're causing more emissions than the poorest 60% of the entire population of the planet. So um, clearly the rich, uh, we're not in the rich, well, I don't know, I don't think we're in the rich bracket by a long way. It's if you earn more than in, in the UK, £60,000 a year plus. So we're talking about, you know, the professional classes and the 1%. You're talking, you know, you can put another couple of zeros on the end of that. You're talking millionaires and billionaires, aren't you? But clearly, um, the message about climate emergency isn't putting people off. Uh, it's transport. It's buying products like furniture, electronic items, other high-end consumer goods. That's what's adding to the carbon footprint. So, you know, it seems that the rich aren't heeding the message of there's a climate change and we all need to do our bit because they're they're pumping out more emissions than anyone on the planet and carrying on regardless. So in one hand, I take that as quite good news, but it's a little bit like the ultra low emission zones in London, isn't it? If you, if you can pay the, the, the fee every day, you can travel in and out as much as you want. Money talks when it comes to climate. And uh, if you can pay your way, you can drive four by four, you can drive a truck, you can do whatever. Um, but the rich here, I mean, the one percent is it is really telling. More than you know, they pump out more than poorest sixty percent. But there's this ten percent. It's the upper middle classes around the world causing up to forty times more. Not stopping, not paying attention. And we all look to the, to the developing nations and say, well, it's their fault. They're the ones burning fossil fuels. Not so much. It looks like it's us here in the Western world, the rich here in the Western world, that are causing more climate emissions than anybody else. Yeah, and obviously putting aside the the whole debate about whether carbon dioxide is even a bad thing for the world, I'm sit on the fence where actually, um, and I've had Dr. Judith Curry, who's actually, you know, she's a world leading expert, um, climate expert on this. She says that she thinks we are having an impact on the climate, but actually it's more regional from what we're doing in terms of cutting down forests and that kind of things. The CO2 argument, she says, actually is a fallacy and and all the models you know it's model data again where we're talking about that all all of the these warnings are based upon we really should have learned our lesson shouldn't we Gemma because you know some of the covid models that they put out the so-called experts were absolutely ridiculous we've proven them to be ridiculous and yet um you know they're still pushing out these model data and saying that you know in a hundred years time the weather's going to be like this and it's going to be a disaster and we need to do something now. And guess what? The thing we need to do now benefits those few people. Now, I've had this argument with people like Deborah Meaden on um, on X, formerly Twitter. Um, and what she says, you know, because she lives in a massive mansion in Somerset. She flies around the world all the time. Um, she drives a big car. Now, something you said there, what she says is, yes, but I offset all of my carbon. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. It's just like that, that is no, and like I said, we're putting aside the argument whether CO2 is good or bad now, but that is just a duplicitous and um, the hypocrisy in that is ridiculous because um, we can't all do that. So what makes you so special um, about, you know, being able to offset your carbon and be able to do the things which apparently us paupers and us, 
normal people are not allowed to do just because you could i don't know plant a few trees or whatever it is they do these days to offset their carbon it really is duplicitous i think for for people Um, and i think it's definitely worth highlighting as well to the general public who don't necessarily understand this thing with co2 that actually what they're being told is lies because if you want to get them on side one of the things to do and i do it a lot on on social media is pointing out the hypocrisy from these people that are telling us i mean John, is it John Kerry? I think it's John Kerry, isn't it? Um, you know, that 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 plane, I haven't got a plane, I haven't got a private jet. And of course, then no, 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 your wife's jet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She had a jet, but it wasn't mine. You know, these people, <laughs> it's the hypocrisy that gets me. Well, I mean, I don't know if you saw the story yesterday about the BBC. Let's bring it back to the BBC. I love to bash them now. I'm not working for them. Um, well, they <laughs> they sent one of their chief um correspondence on their current affairs program panorama uh, flying around the world i think it was dubai california berlin um all about to do a special program about uh, climate and flying around the world asking why aren't we doing more to stop the use of fossil fuels and carbon emissions and you know the bbc quite rightly has come in for intense scrutiny over the last 24 hours for for doing this um and they flew not just only the chief panorama reporter there would have been a cameraman there would have been a producer i know how the bbc works you would have sent a team of people even though you could have asked a local production company in those countries to go and get that footage and you could have sat in a nice cozy office in london and put a voiceover over the top no 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 he, this guy racked up twenty thousand air miles flying around the world wondering why other people weren't doing what they were told in climate change and telling us all to do what we were told uh, and the bbc's got slated for it but do you know what the bbc said Oh, no, no, it's okay. It was economy. It was economy. You know, as if to say, poor Richard Bilton, he had to slum it with the masses. Oh, it was economy. And these flights were needed. They were needed to bring home the message of climate change. You're like, have you not seen what you've just said? But, you know, people are, people are taking a swipe at the bead because of that. But it is rank hypocrisy. It is one rule for the rich and the, so you know, people who regard themselves as higher up like a lot of people at the BBC do, like a lot of people in a lot of organisations. But the figures speak for themselves. They've come from the International Energy Agency. Um, top 1% produces more emissions than the poorest 60, and the top 10% uh, cause 40, 40 times more. So if you're rich, you can get away with it, and if you're mm. poor, you get the blame. Same as a lot of other stories. Yeah, and like I said, you know, I think for us, uh, for, for those of us on the front line that are fighting this, and trying to get the the general public on side with us um i you know the problem is when you start getting into the science it's very much like covid it becomes a quagmire after a while because essentially we're arguing about things which don't exist it's all model data um you know you, you get bogged down and it becomes very very difficult then to persuade anybody of anything and the public just go well hang on a second you're not an expert but you are a so-called expert over here so I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to go with the the expert, the one with the badge on. Um, it's a very difficult case to make and, and and battle to win. But when you've got these people that are sending us this message that are, you know, the hypocrites, they're flying around in jets around the world and they're telling us that we need to stop going on holiday once a year um, or stop, you know, driving. We need to get on the bus or whatever it is, messages. That's the thing I think which is useful to focus on because it really does highlight what an absolute shambles they are and what an absolute hypocrisy and duplicitous bunch of people they are. 
Right, Gemma, um, we're going to take a quick break now. And then, Gemma, you're going to come back and we're going to talk about another couple of stories um, before right up to the, the bottom of the hour. And then for the second half of this hour, we're going to be talking to Stan from The Voice of Wales, who um, has got some fantastic news to share with us. He's just been made um, the official candidate for UKIP in Clanethley in Wales, which is the location of the Stradley Park Hotel where all the protests happened. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to that, um, speaking with um, Stan all about that um, at the bottom of the hour. But don't go anywhere because me and Gemma will be back straight after this short break here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Rick Mann. I'm looking also at South Africa in terms of uh, ESCOM, which is a company that we have talked about a lot here. That's the South African electricity provider. ESCOM has posted a massive 24 billion rand loss for 2022-2023 financial year, exacerbated by a huge escalation in load shedding, which is basically blackouts, for want of a better expression, mounting municipal debt and skyrocketing losses due to criminal activity that's both within the company i would say and outside of the company the group presented its first full year financials for the 12 months ending 31st of march on tuesday it said the year was characterized by a significant deterioration of performance including a steep decline in energy availability of 56 percent down from 62 percent so half the country are having difficulty getting any electricity at all and most places are undergoing what's called uh load shedding which means for up to 10 hours per day you could be disconnected from the electricity supply in south africa locked and loaded with rick mon on today's news talk tnt radio the light is britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies no that's what the bbc say the light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today you can subscribe order copies submit articles and read back issues on our website thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Right, well, Gemma, let's talk about um, Clenethley in Wales. Both you and I went down there. We presented a flag, a TNT radio flag to all of the protesters down there. Um, they were successful in the end, weren't they? They 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 beat off the Home Office um, with their plans to place hundreds of illegal migrants right slap bang in the middle of a housing estate there. It's a very, very small community. The hotel itself is a four-star um, spa hotel um, it brings in a lot of business to the local area, tourism and the like. So I think they were p- perfectly justified. And me and you went down there, didn't we? Tell tell, tell, tell people what they were like down there. Because, of course, the likes of the BBC wanted to make it out that, that the protesters there were racist. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? If you oppose this particular policy of, of asylum and immigration, you're automatically a racist. Uh, and that applies to every country in the world. Um, that's the inference of the mainstream media. That's not what I'm saying. They, they infer that, right, because you don't like, you don't want somebody uh, who you don't know who they are from another country just being plonked into the middle of your community. The, the key point is without any consultation. That's the key to this. It's without a, a kind of uh, dialogue between the people who who vote for their elected representatives, who pay their taxes, not being given a say, you know, and the amount of money 
uh, our money that is is used to house asylum seekers, to pay for asylum seekers, um, and and some of them, you know, for their applications to go through can take quite a long time. It's the lack of dis uh, discussion, it's the lack of consultation, it's the lack of respect that uh, communities are afforded. And they're often uh, poorer communities, people who, you know, we talked about the poor, you know, that you're regarded as this kind of uh, underclass in our society. It's often in those kind of communities that they try and shovel these <laughs> asylum seekers so that, you know, if you're rich, you have a say, you know, you jump up and down and people generally listen. If you're poor and you jump up and down, you just called far right, racist, shut up. You haven't got any valid points to make. You haven't got anything to add to the debate. Well, in, in this instance, they weren't. And I, I couldn't be more delighted. And they were lovely, friendly, welcoming, very well-organized setup, you know, cooking meals. And there were cakes being brought in and lovely big tents that people were sleeping in in the freezing cold, I have to say. And they were determined. They were very adamant they're going to stay till Christmas and have Christmas dinner there if they needed to, all of them. And there was a real sense of community there, um, which is why I think they... they um, they stuck together is that that sense of community that didn't want to be disrupted, that didn't want to have uh, something put in, which would cause a huge, huge change to that community. And the hotel itself, we have discussed this before. It was the focal point. You know, it was used for weddings, christenings, funerals, you know, parties, birthday parties. It was a focal part of, of that community. And they just, they just, you know, changed the usage of it. So, it, and, the, and the people that supplied the hotel, the florist, the meat, the meat, the veg, all that, they all they all took a hit for their businesses. So I'm delighted that the the um community won because eventually this became not about race, it was about class. And it was about, you know, the mm. rich and the elites versus the poor on the ground. That's what it became. But they won. They won. Yeah, they did. And I think, you know, it's 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 big. And I remember I forget what the story was on the day that the the home office admitted it. But there was another big story. I forget. It was probably actually the the Israel something to do with what's going on in the Middle East. But it was clear that the Home Office didn't want this story um, broadcast on mainstream. They did try to bury it within the news. Um, but it is interesting, Gemma. You make a good point there that you know these problems never exist in wealthy areas. We don't hear um, of anyone in um, I don't know Chelsea or or anyone in in wealthy Surrey. Um, that uh, having these, you know, hundreds of migrants put in the middle of their community, it just doesn't happen. Um, and I think that is because the government believe poor people haven't got a voice, they haven't got any power, so they can't fight back. And they were proved wrong on this occasion. And of course, there is history there, isn't there? Because when we went down there, um, I think it was actually Stan that highlighted it to us, the Rebecca riots, which were over, I forget the exact year, but it was well over 100 years ago where the local landovers tried to put a toll bridge in and um, the community again came out and and they weren't going to be um they weren't going to be bullied and they actually won that fight as well so good on them good on them um i applaud them and like like you said Gemma, absolute lovely um group of people when we went down there to meet them Right. Thank you very much um, that for Gemma for joining me in Clanethley and also for, for those brilliant stories. Um, look forward to speaking with you again tomorrow. And to the rest of you, uh, my next guest is very much linked to the story we've just been talking about. He is Stan from The Voice of Wales. Um, he's a great guy. He, um, along with Dan, covered a lot of the protests. They were the reason, I think, um, or they certainly had a large part to do with the community coming together they were a focal point they got the truth out there against the bbc that were trying to paint them as racist so stan is going to join me straight after this break so don't go anywhere stick with me james freeman 
on TNT Radio. Hey, I got news for you. TNT Radio News. It's about time. Poland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Beijing has cautioned Canberra against making reckless accusations against China after Australia accused a Chinese warship of injuring one of its Navy divers off the coast of Japan. Celebrations are continuing in Argentina, where libertarian economist Javier Millet was elected president on Sunday. And France claims to have conducted its first successful test firing of a long-range ballistic missile designed to be launched from nuclear submarines. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. Right. Well, I'm delighted once again to be joined by Stan from The Voice of Wales. Stan and Dan have featured many times here on the show. Um, we actually did a live um, show, um, I think, on Dee Dee Denslow's show on Sunday, live from the protest in Clenethley. Um, Hello, Stan. How are you doing? Hi, James. I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. And of course, TNT is all video now. So, um, the viewers can well they're viewers now they're not just listeners um which is fantastic news um stan you've got some news to share with us haven't you share, share that news with us yes on on sunday evening i was uh, selected as the uh, uk independence party uh, candidate or prospective parliamentary candidate in near griffiths's seat in flanelli fantastic and you're right there to be very very careful with that prospective word because the minute you start saying you're the candidate, well, then any expenses you incur from that point, doesn't matter whether the election's been called or not, you'll be charged. So, yeah, good on you there. You know your details. Um, Stan, so what's been the reaction from the community about this? It, it, it's been overwhelming, to be honest, James. Um, there's been literally hundreds of messages. Um, and and um, we've even got a slogan from one of the from one of the supporters no to Nia. <laughs> no, t- no to Nia Griffiths. No to Nia. So that's that's the. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I see we go now. Okay, fantastic. Um, Stan, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute in terms of what your policies or what UKIP policies are going to be and how you plan to sort of attack that uh, next general election, which is looking very likely it's going to be next year because it's a big challenge i've done it um i know what it's all about i think you've have you stood in a general election before i think you have haven't you once or twice james <laughs> yeah okay so you know what it's all about so we'll talk all about that in a moment but before we do that i'd like to just talk about the hotel find out what's going on there um has it reopened um what what's go- what's going on with the hotel now so the state of play is that it's unfit for human habitation. Uh, the fire brigade have been in, um, and and it, it um, it's just a wreck of a of a building at the moment. Um, there have been um, um, the, the manager that was the manager of the hotel and the deputy 
turned up on um, Thursday last. Uh, sorry, um, at the weekend, uh, and um, <clears throat> they want to try and get the hotel back as a hotel. Uh, they've been in it this week, along with a, a builder from the Stradley Park protesters' side, and they they both agree that it'll take a few months to 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 sort out if it is to become a hotel once again. And the the situation with the ownership of the hotel, I think what we learned during this is actually it's a um, syndicate, isn't it? I think. Um, is that still the case now where a lot of investors, they literally just put in, you know, um, a few thousand pounds and there's a lot of them. Tell us what, what the situation is with that. From from what we can ascertain, it's a quick moving situation because the county council don't want the protesters there anymore. Uh, and, and neither do the town councillors. Uh, this is applied labour area and they have seen uh, the support for, for those two parties just wither on the vine because, of course, their policy is to put them in, in, in houses near you, not in the Stradley Park Hotel. So, so it's the same problem, just spread about. Uh, and so they've seen that wither and they now want the protest ended. Uh, uh, Mark uh, Drakeford, uh, Nia Griffiths, Darren Price... Uncle Tom Cobley and all, all came together um, and said, we need to heal. The town needs to heal. And my message to them, and it will continue to be, if it needs to heal, then drop the bogus charges that Dubith Powys Police has placed on many people. Yes, of course. And we met many of those people. In fact, um, I interviewed um, a number of them. We even had Crim Corner, didn't we? Um, which was basically people who'd been taken to court. And it's, it, it is, it seems funny on the face of it. Um, basically, there was a line drawn and um, anybody who'd been prosecuted couldn't pass that line. It was just down the street on the corner. So it was renamed Crim Corner. But of course, you know, there is serious consequences for some of the protesters. Now, um, Stan, is the protest camp still there then? No, the, the protest camp has been uh, slowly dismantled and the last remnants of it will be taken away today. That isn't to say that it can be soon and quickly re-established if any shenanigans go on. But at the end of the day, people want that place to be a hotel, a running hotel, a thriving hotel. Uh, what they don't want are the same owners because they've you know, they feel betrayed, you know, that they can pull the carpet, a hundred jobs are gone, uh, the wider community loses jobs, and then suddenly they're asking for forgiveness and everything's going to be all right and we're going to have it as a hotel again. So there's some bitter feelings. And, of course, you've got 40-odd people that have now been or about to be criminalised. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's all a bit of a disaster, really, isn't it? Because... Didn't they, when they um, first announced these plans, didn't they go in there and pull out all the beds? You know, they they stripped out the hotel, getting it ready. So they've literally dismantled the whole thing. Um, and then I think, you know, the Home Office has realised it, it ain't going to win this battle. Um, you know, we've got a community here with a history. Um, talked about the Rebecca riots before the break there. 
um, they realize very quickly they're not going to win this. And so they they back down. But it is a bit of a disaster still for the local community. And I do agree with you about um, the Welsh Government, the Labour Party implied. Um, I guess on one side, it's not their fault in the first place that the, the Home Office decided to put these people there, unless there's something I don't know. But you can see why they're quick to try and um, say we all need to heal now and just get over this because you know you've you you've built an awful well you've built a new community um in the area haven't you that, that's absolutely right uh ukip as a membership is a, it's the largest group in the united kingdom now there, there's about 120 members in 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 alone because of what's happened and because of the shenanigans yeah I mean, yeah, I think that's that that says a lot. And then um, Stan, I said to you this morning, um, when it comes to campaigning, I don't think I'm gonna be standing in the election, but who knows? Um at the moment I don't know which party I would stand for, maybe as an independent. But um if I'm not, then I'll definitely come down and help you campaign. So um make sure you give me a call when the time comes. Right, Stan, we're gonna take a quick break now, but when we come back, um I'd like to talk um about some of the um these rallies that have been going on in london um in support of a free palestine um i do know that we we haven't spoken about this but i know we disagree because i see what you say online so we'll have a little bit of an <laughs> argument but a friendly one um because you know this is a free speech station we're allowed to disagree on certain things and still be friends at the end of it but i would like to have that conversation with you so don't go anywhere stan don't be running off in the ad break um stick with me james freeman on tnt radio the climate agenda is a national security risk where do you hear this from washington dc this is the morano minute with your host tnt radio's mark morano the climate and energy policies of california are threatening the security of residents California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to in-state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello. So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone, you can stop it or cop it. The Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right. So, Stan, as I said, you know, I I follow you on X. Um, You follow me as well. Um, I see some of the conversations that you have on there. Um, and I have to say, I do disagree. So let's have a conversation about these rallies in Palestine. What's your overarching kind of view of the whole thing? So the 7th of October was the most horrific attack on a country that is allowed to defend its own borders. From that date, there's been 240 odd 
uh, victims that have been kidnapped and they're being held as hostage. So that's the, that's the first thing that people seem to forget, that babies and children were massacred. And this is the fault of Iran, it's the fault of Hamas, and it's the fault of um, the, the people that support Hamas in Gaza. They have the right to defend themselves. Israel has declared war on Hamas, and, uh, and so therefore there are two options. With a ceasefire, Hamas has to surrender unconditionally and return the, 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 uh, the, the hostages. Or the Gazans need to surrender the Hamas people, the terrorists themselves, in order to achieve that ceasefire. You can't have ceasefires in the middle of a war. And the reason for that is because Hamas will regroup and they'll reuse those victims, which are the Gazans. Uh, they will reuse them and use them as hostages, just like they're using the Jewish hostages now as, as bartering tools, James. Yeah, Stan, I, I, I must admit, I don't disagree with anything that you've said there in terms of Israel's right to defend itself, the fact that it was abhorrent what happened and what Hamas did. But do you accept the fact that this conflict didn't start, what was it, a month ago or whatever it is now? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it most certainly didn't. But you've, people seem to forget that... Uh, the Ottoman Empire was on the wrong side of a war and they lost. Full stop. And, 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 and it became British mandated Palestine. And, the, the, you know, the Brits, to the best of their ability, gave the, uh, the Jewish people a homeland. And so you've got to work. But before that, um, you've got to look at the, the biblical times. There was no such thing as Palestine. There was, there was Philistine on the coast, a much smaller enclave than what they've got now. Um, but, but it was Judea. Yeah, I was, I was more talking about sort of more recent history than that. Um, for example, there's a statistic here. Um, since the year 2000, or it might be 2003, I forget which it is, but in the last 20 years, essentially, um, Israeli soldiers and settlers have shot dead 2,300 Palestinian children. Um, some of them might have been throwing stones or going too close to the... What What are your thoughts on that? So there, there, are, there are... The settlers are illegal. It is no question. The, the Jewish settlers should not infringe or... or, or I mean, they're doing horrendous things. They're, they're smashing and shooting olive uh, farmers. Um, so, but it, it, the, the quid pro quo has to stop. But the only way you can do that is to get rid of Hamas. But, but there's a problem here, and it's a circular thing, because, you know, when you kill, I, I don't know what the latest numbers are, but I remember just over a week ago, the tally was up to 3,000 children that have been killed in this recent bombing by Israel. Yeah. Israel. Now, I don't know about you, Stan, but if um, if some occupying force, um, and that's how the UN described them, came and bombed my family, I reckon I would probably, in, in that situation, living out there with nothing to lose, 
I would probably become a terrorist. So isn't there a circular problem here by by going in and saying we need to, you know, these these civilians are collateral damage to the objective of getting rid of Hamas. Aren't they just creating more future terrorists? Well, you've got more terrorists on the United Nations board than you have uh, than you have in any in, in any uh, in, in any conflict in in the Middle East. You know, you, you, you've got Shikogi's uh, uh, killers. Uh, sitting on the on the on the panel for human rights out, out, out in, in the United Nations, so I wouldn't give any credence to the United Nations. It's 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 uh, an occupying force is 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 a uh, is 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 worded language. It's language that's that's designed to 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 uh, to set um, one against another. Are they uh, occupying forces or are they defending themselves? Well, I think I think, look, you know, I accept your your view on the UN. Um, it's, if it, in fact, if anything, Stan, it feels quite funny to be arguing the same points as the UN all of a sudden, because I've spent years, you know, arguing against them. And and to be honest with you, I think the UN should be disbanded. So, OK, I accept that point. But, you know, when you look at the, the reality on the ground there, um, there are checkpoints. People in Gaza can't move around freely. Um, Israel decides if they have electricity or water, as we've seen, because they've cut it all off. Um, and so I don't know how you can describe it any other way than to say it's occupied. And of course, there's a big wall there. And if you get too close to that wall, I've already discussed the statistic of 2,300 children being shot dead by Israeli soldiers. Is that not an occupation? Well, James, um, you know as well as I do, there's billions been sent, spent, uh, sent to Gaza and spent on tunnels, on munitions, on on multi-billionaire properties that the Gazan leadership have got. They could have built desalination plants if they wanted water. You've got a whole a whole side of your coat uh, uh, of one side of it, the Mediterranean Sea. So, you, so there's no such thing. There's no question of getting water. They've spent the money on the wrong thing. They, they've spent it on munitions rather than food. They've spent it on, you know, you know, uh, weapons rather than uh, making the, the the Israelis trust them. And and what do you think is going to happen after this war? Is it, are they going to are they going to put landmines in that that sterile area? Because I know I would. I would never want any of my children, family, or or anyone ever stolen again and used as battering chips. I'd make it so impregnable they would feel lucky, but they would feel that they're imprisoned. The other, the other question that comes up, and and you know, um, I might be called a tin for hat wearer for asking this question, but you know, I've had somebody from who was in um, the Israeli Defense Forces in, in the past. She was an intelligence officer. And when she came on, it was, I think it was about three, four days after the attacks. She just didn't believe that this could have happened by just accident, that, that, that these flimsy paragliders were able to fly over this wall, which is, you know, one of the most heavily fortified places in the world. We've also learned since then that Egypt actually warned Israel that this was going to happen. And now we're hearing about this new canal that Israel wants to build to to rival the Suez Canal, which basically would be much easier for them if it went right down the middle of Palestine. And of course, we're hearing about the licenses, the oil and gas licenses 
um, which is actually in Gazan territory of the sea there. But those licenses come up next year. There is a wider question if, if actually this is one of those um, situations of Stan where it's being allowed to happen so that it can justify the response, because actually there's a wider <clears throat> agenda. What are your thoughts on 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 that? Okay, well, forgive me for my. Uh, I think it was either 1972 or 73, where Turkey invaded Cyprus, and they did it over Christmas. So, so the British didn't know about it until probably May 5th, uh, January 5th. You know what I mean? Yes, I, I, I can understand. There's about an eight-hour delay from what I can gather, but, but, um, I, I think it's it, it's. It, it, it's it's more um, human error than it is than it is by design, uh, and like I say, it happened in Cyprus, and now we've got a divided Cyprus uh, because we weren't quick enough to mm. to repel the Turks. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm just asking questions here. I'm not saying that they definitely did, yeah. but to me, as an outside observer, knowing what the apparatus are like there, it seems extraordinary that so many. I mean, I'm not being funny, um, Stan. You know, if I had an air rifle, I'd probably be able to shoot down a paraglider. <laughs> They're not made of, of, of you know, steel or anything. You know, they've got a flimsy bit no. of sheet. They hang in the air. They don't move that fast. So anyway, we'll move on from that because neither of us know the answer to that question. Um, let's talk then about these rallies in London. And particularly, I was really put out, actually, by calls from the likes of Tom, Tommy Robinson and others for lots of people to go up and protect the statues. I guess on t there's two reasons why I was put out with it. One, because actually I, I, I just saw it as being the ingredients of an absolute disaster. In the end, we did have some scuffles, but it wasn't the disaster. It could have been because thousands and thousands of, you know, flag wearing flag waving Brits going there to protect the statutes at the same time as you've got very heated protests about Palestine to me seemed like a really stupid <clears throat> idea. It was a recipe for disaster. Um, but also, you know, it did seem a bit, I don't know, a bit ridiculous to go and um, protect the statues. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on all of that? So, as you know, James, I was down there for Armistice Weekend uh, or Remembrance Weekend, which can, which also coincided with the Armistice. And it was horrendous, James. Um, the tension in the air, I had my poppy uh, ripped off my lapel. I was wearing my uh, my, my blazer and my beret, um, but that's no need for anyone to do anything so ghastly, and particularly on those two days. I've actually started a petition. It's it's gone for checking now, but these 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 days must be protected in future. No, no, we don't want a, a socialist uh, uh, inspector of police, Mark Rowley, saying he, he's got he can't do anything. Not when he not when the police. If you stand on a on a on a on a, uh, a bus stop uh, shelter, you can get arrested, and yet you can't get arrested for uh, desecrating a war memorial or or a a a, a, a grave. You know, uh, it, it was absolutely scandalous. Um, Tony Robinson, he called for the protection and the, well, the protection of the two minute silence. That was that was the, the technical thing. It wasn't the monuments, it was a two minute silence. And if you're looking at it uh, reasonably, it worked. Because I was at Hyde Park at 9.30 in the morning, uh, dropping my car off and going to the Victory Services Club. And 
there were thousands of demonstrators heading down towards the uh, the, well, uh, the uh, cenotaph at 9.30 in the morning. Their parade wasn't until one o'clock. Mm. So why did they set off? So he then... He then left at about 11.30 in Chinatown, did Tommy Robinson, having achieved what he wanted, which was that the two-minute silence must be hot. It must be sacred. Yeah, and, you know, um, there's always more detail, and I didn't actually realise that that was... I I, I listened to Lawrence Fox um, and, and yeah. others that were talking about going to protect the statues, which I thought was just a bit silly and also like i said it was setting up the ingredients for a a wider um wider issues to do with the two protests in the end i think over 100 people were arrested though so yeah. um you know it wasn't a great um day for those opposing or going there to protect the the signs because they ended up um fighting with the police themselves um but do you i guess your position then stan is in future there are certain days what days then would you protect so we, this country is predominantly a Christian country. So Easter, Christmas, the, uh, the uh, Veterans Day or, or Armed Forces Day. Then you've got Armistice Weekend, sorry, Remembrance Weekend, which is Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And then you've got Armistice Day itself. Those days have to be sacrosanct they have to be and i believe in free speech you know i do james but they can yeah, they yeah. can do what they want they can glue themselves to anything they want on any other day but there's about 11 days in the calendar the british calendar that must be kept preserved i don't disagree with you actually stan i think you you convinced me i i still think the police were in a very difficult position given that the the um you know they were right in the middle of these protests being organized but i do think actually maybe if we yeah. brought the laws in a long time before actually that would have avoided the whole problem in the first place so i think actually what you've said there i don't disagree with at all now stan we have run out of time um congratulations by the way on getting your you're a prospective candidate with you but you are the <laughs> official going to be the official candidate so well done there and like i said give me a call close to the time i'll come down and help you campaign definitely ladies and gentlemen stan um from the voice of wales thank you very much dan thank you james right to the rest of you don't go anywhere because we've got loads more fantastic shows right here on tnt radio mm -hmm.